The stories in the It's Not Just a Bad Period series are difficult to listen to, and I want to keep it that way, because they aren't just stories, but the harrowing realities of each warrior that is bravely taking part. Although endometriosis was first identified over 160 years ago, substantial gaps in adequately addressing this disease remains. From research being severely underfunded to outdated medical procedures still being used, this disease is a beast to live with, but existing in the current medical system makes it exponentially worse. I wish I could say these circumstances only exist for a few unlucky warriors, but that's not true. This is the typical experience of an endometriosis warrior, and it's time the world hears it. The stories you are about to hear are the personal experiences of each individual, and the views expressed by the guests are their own. Please listen with discretion, as this series contains mature content that could possibly be triggering to some individuals. Mention of depression, suicidal ideation, medical trauma, sexual assault, disordered eating, and other sensitive topics may come up. And as always, this podcast is not intended to be taken as medical advice. Please refer to your doctor or therapist. Yes. Awesome. Well, welcome. How are you? I'm okay. How are you? I'm doing fine too. You know, hanging in there, right? Yeah, just drinking some tea to get the frogs out of my throat and brain. (laughs) I understand that. Oh, yeah, that's right. Because it's early for you. Yeah, it's. I set my alarm for eight. Oh, thank you so much for doing that. Yeah, of course. Well, I'm so glad to have you. I'm so thankful that you're willing to be a part of this series. Would you like to go ahead and introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, you just want like name and... Yeah, just give, you know, a little bit about whatever you feel comfortable with sharing. You know, tell us a little bit about you, um, maybe what you do, um, you know, what your like daily life is a little bit like, and then we can go into your endo journey. Okay. Um, my name is Jane. Right, and I am a I I call it a stay-at-home dog mom. Um, I trained as an opera singer, and I sing in choirs still. But um, because of my health issues, I was unable to continue with that career. Uh, I spend a lot of time during the day talking to other endo warriors, actually. From my phone that's one of the things that gives me joy but I can't work a full-time job because of my chronic pain I'm married and as I said I have a dog she is the light of my life her name is Ricky and uh, I highly recommend anyone who is able who has a chronic illness to have a pet because it just it's necessary most days for me to get out of bed 
I totally agree with that. My my fur baby is my everything. Like you said, he's literally a lot of times the only reason that I do get up or get movement or go for a walk and he, you know, do things like that. It's because of, of him and you know, he needs it and it just makes it so much easier to do it with him because I surely wouldn't if it was just me. Exactly. Well, thank you for sharing that. That's really cool. I had no idea about the opera singing. Like that's, that's amazing. I always love to uh, hear, you know, like what people did before Indo really became part of their daily life, because I think it's so important. It's such a crucial part of our stories and just showing, you know, really how like life-changing this disease really is. Yeah, it really is. Truly. Yeah. So do you, want to go ahead and tell us a little bit about your endo journey like maybe um your road to diagnosis what that was kind of like um when did you first start having symptoms sure so even from like being a very small child I always had stomach issues they couldn't figure out what was going on eventually um, my parents sent me to a child therapist and they determined that it was anxiety So they taught me how to do these relaxation exercises to try and relax my stomach, but it was still always um, painful. And then in seventh grade, my stomach got so bad that I couldn't continue to go to school. So my parents pulled me out. And I'm starting to think that maybe that was the beginning of the endometriosis. I didn't start my period till I was like 16. But since I have bowel endo, I'm wondering if... I'm thinking about it in those terms of like, perhaps it started when I was 12 or 13. And I just, I was, because of my stomach issues, I was extremely underweight. And I think that that delayed my period starting. Um, When it started, it just was like, it was light for a little while. And then it got just absolutely terrible. I remember I was at a college audition to sing for Oberlin, which was my number one choice school. And I was just praying that I wouldn't get my period because I knew that it would be, it would make a huge difference in my audition. And I did my audition. And then the next morning I woke up and I got my period and it was the worst pain that I'd felt so far. Um, I went to the bathroom because I felt like I had to throw up and I passed out while in the bathroom um the I was just like cramping so severely and bleeding so much and my dad was with me on the audition and I remember he was just kind of like well can you walk sometimes it helps to walk dads are well-intentioned but they don't understand period cramps so I was walking and I just like passed out and fell into the bushes and he said okay I'm taking you to the emergency room so I was supposed to fly home that day and instead we ended up pushing the flight later, I think. I can't really remember because they took me to the emergency room in Oberlin. They pumped me full of a bunch of drugs and I was kind of in la-la land and not really able to understand what was going on. I know they ran a pregnancy test, so they were looking for an ectopal, ectopic pregnancy. Um, so that was really the beginning of like, okay, this is not acceptable. And when I got back home, uh, it was difficult because I was realizing 
I don't think that I can go to these top end conservatories and sing the way that I wanted to because my body wasn't going to let me. And um, I went to a gynecologist, a female gynecologist. No, first I went to a nurse practitioner and she was like, well, I'm going to send you to a gynecologist because this sounds a little bit different than what most people experience. And the woman told me that I must have a low pain threshold, that it was likely, or it was all in my head, that everyone dealt with this and I just needed to buck up basically. And she put me on birth control. Uh, I think she put me on orthotricycline or something, which has never agreed with me because anytime I change a hormone level, it makes me throw up. So I needed to switch away from that. But that began the process of being on every single birth control that was on the market of um, just trying different things to see what would help when I was so I ended up going to school much closer to home. So that was the first part of like, I'm, I auditioned at Juilliard and I didn't get in. Um, but even getting an audition is an extreme honor. So I was really grateful to be able to do that. But again, I was sick during that trip. And it was very apparent to me that I couldn't go super far from home. So I ended up going to college about an hour away. And when I was 19, I had to drop out because of medical issues. And my voice teacher at the time had talked to her gynecologist about what was going on with me. And he said, I think it sounds like she has endometriosis. So he did my surgery when I was 19. And it was an ablation because this was in 2003. And excision was available. And Dr. Redwine was starting to be on the scene, but it wasn't accessible. Uh, in the way that it is now like obviously it's still not accessible for a lot of people but back then it really was just like there's this one doctor that's doing it for the most part and it was kind of um, more avant-garde it definitely wasn't as excuse me um, like widespread conceptually as it is now so uh, he did my endosurgery, which was just um, a plain laparoscopy. I'm sure he used ablation. I know he put up mesh to try and keep the endometriosis at bay. I didn't know any better for any of this. And I believe that he was doing his best to help. When I woke up, he said, yes, you have endometriosis. And I started crying. And he said, it's okay. I'll help you through this. Like We can figure out ways to try and not 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 cure it but um manage it and I was like okay but I'm not crying because I have endometriosis I'm crying because there's actually something wrong and you have validated that there's actually something wrong I'm not crazy it's not in my head and this much pain isn't normal so that's when I was diagnosed wow oh my goodness Thank you for sharing that. I'm so sorry that you've had to go through it. It's not easy. Like, especially the part of being told, you know, things like you have, must have a low pain th- tolerance, like right. all in your head. And 
you go through that and you get told that enough times that you really start to believe that. I remember having going into my surgery with Dr. Cernervo and uh, before like I went under, he comes and sees you um, before you get to the operating room. And I looked at him and said, can you just please tell me I'm not crazy? Yeah. And like, it's to that level. And I just want people listening to these stories and listening to our realities to like really grasp the weight of that, you know, that we wake up and we live in these bodies where we know something is wrong. You're talking about passing out. Like when I just, it just baffles me and it's crazy to think about that that's like really our reality and what other condition like gets so passed over maybe is the right word I think because right like endometriosis crosses into so many taboo issues that exactly yeah yeah that it's like this uh I don't really know how to deal with this so we're just gonna we're just gonna kind of waft over it and it requires a, a surgery, which makes the diagnostic level of, like, the diagnostic threshold much harder to achieve. Um, it's not just like, you can have an ultrasound and they can see, oh, we need to do further testing. I know they can see some things, but you can't definitively say that someone doesn't have endometriosis via ultrasound or via MRI. And I think there's so much misinformation around that. You can see things that indicate that you have endometriosis, but not that you don't. Absolutely. Right. I totally agree with that. It's just another um, layer or another barrier of even getting diagnosed. I remember when I came across that information that the only way I could get diagnosed is to have a surgery was like, I, I couldn't even really fathom that. I was like, wait, I have to go under, you know, be cut open in the hopes that I have this. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. Every single time I have an endometriosis surgery, I'm super anxious. I'm like, well, what if they don't find anything again? What if it's not this? What if it's something else? And I've put my body through this trauma through more adhesions for them to find nothing. That's not happened so far, but I worry about it every single time. Every single time there's like this, this voice in my head that says, maybe it is in your head again. Maybe it's not real. And I think all of us are used to dealing with that. I see that on the forums all the time. Like I'm having surgery tomorrow. This is my sixth surgery, but what if they don't find anything? And it's like, well, it's, it's maddening to live in that space all the time. It is. It absolutely is. And it's like this cycle, you know, you go through of feeling like that. And then you know, something validates you and you're like, no, I know. And you're back on and, you know, you're like in your advocacy game and feeling strong and knowing what is going on with your body. And then it's like, oh, something happens. And it's just like this perpetual cycle. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, you mentioned that whenever you had your first surgery um, was in a time where like there definitely wasn't uh excision is the gold standard campaigns, right? Right. Um, so can you talk a little bit about that? Like, how did you, have you had excision surgery? I have last year. Yeah. 
Okay. So how did you, can you talk about how you ended up finding out that extension surgery, you know, was kind of like the best route to go? Sure. It's a long story, but I'll tell it. Um, so when I was 19, I had my first ablation, uh, a year to six months later, I had my second one. Then a year after that, I had the third one and they said, well, we didn't see as much, so we're going to stop doing this as often. But I was still having issues. I was still on different kinds of birth control. I would be on like, it was called seasonal at the time, which is a, a continuous birth control where you're supposed to have a period every three months, but they would just keep me on that. And then I would have breakthrough bleeding. One time it lasted for like 93 days. Um, and they they took me in for a, a DNC and another excision because they said if they couldn't get the bleeding to stop, that they would need to do a hysterectomy. So between 2003 and 2010, I was on Lupron three times. I was on all kinds of wild pain medication because back then things were um, different than they are now. And my gynecologist who did my surgery. So he retired and then his partner did the next two and they were the nicest men and they understood that they didn't know what it was like to have pain like that. And so they were so understanding and kind and validating, but they weren't endometriosis experts. And then in 2009, I had a spinal cord stimulator installed to try and help with the pain and it worked pretty well i also had botox injections in my pelvic floor i was seeing a pelvic pt anything that you could name other than an iud i had tried it and then at the end of 2009 i was like look i'm done i just i can't do this anymore please please just perform a hysterectomy and um they my, my actual gynecologist at the time was too old to perform surgery. So he had me see a newer gynecologist who the first two appointments just tried to talk me out of it because I was 24 at the time, I believe. And I was like, no, I'm serious. I really, I can't live like this because I really wanted to be a mom, but I knew that I couldn't do it under those circumstances. And so my goal was to then adopt. And I had a very supportive boyfriend, now my husband. We'd been dating two weeks and he told me, if, you're, if your period pain is ever out of control, a hysterectomy is not a deal breaker for me. And I was like, I love you in my brain. I didn't say that because it was two weeks, but, <laughs> but um, you know, previously people had my boyfriends had ended relationships because it's like, you're too sick to be with. I don't know if you're going to be able to have children. So to hear that was totally different. So um, the, the gynecologist that I saw who ended up doing my surgery, even the morning of the hysterectomy, which was in February of 2010, he said, I think you should keep an ovary. And I said, no, I don't want to be back here in six months just take all of it. So I had a total hysterectomy and um, they took both tubes and both ovaries and my, my cervix, which is what makes it a total hysterectomy. And 
when I woke up, I was in, even after the pain meds wore off, I was in like significantly less pain than when I went to sleep. And I woke up and I said, did they find anything? Because my deepest fear was that they would be removing like a pink, healthy uterus and everything was fine. And it was not fine. Uh, There were adhesions tying my uterus down. It was stretched and twisted out of shape. My right ovary was completely bound to my appendix, to my bladder, to the bowel wall. And the left ovary was just completely covered in tissue. My appendix looked diseased, but they refused to remove it, even though I had known that it was diseased since 2003. Um, When in a previous laparoscopy, my gynecologist had seen my appendix and said, this doesn't look right, and called in an OR, um, like the general surgeon on call. And apparently they were yelling at each other while I was under about how this was not the right thing to be (laughs) doing. And... I wish that they'd removed it because then it's just, I have this pain in my lower right side that you worry about. Oh, is it my appendix every single time? And you know, with endometriosis that there are certain things you can just ignore, even though it's terrible. You're like, well, I'm not going to go to the emergency room because they're just going to write me off. They're going to gaslight me. But if you ignore your appendix rupturing, that's bad. So Right. I was always worried about that. Anyway, um, yeah, my my surgeon said he'd never seen anything like it and that it was like my body was literally twisting itself apart from the inside out and that I should have been crying constantly. So he was surprised that I was even able to walk. And that was super validating. Yeah, I can imagine. Especially after being told, oh, you must have a low pain tolerance. It's like, um, Mm -hmm. excuse Where's my medal? <laughs> right, exactly. So I felt better for six months to a year. And then I started having these stomach issues. And that's really what made it so that I couldn't career, couldn't continue with my opera career was my stomach was just so bad. I tried to like 2013, but I had this this lower abdominal pelvic pain that they assumed was stomach because I didn't have anything else left in there for it to be reproductive organ wise. And from 2010 to 2021, really, um, I was in and out of the hospital because they were like, okay, you have this kind of colitis. And then some people said IBS. And it wasn't until recently like last May, my husband was reading a New York Times article written by the inventor of, there was this, they, they learned how to grow an ear on a mouse, like a human ear on a mouse. And so she's the scientist that was talking about how she wants to put all of her her science resources behind endometriosis because she was diagnosed with endometriosis in the eighties and her niece was diagnosed with endometriosis recently and nothing really has changed. Like a couple things maybe have, but it was not, not enough had changed, right? Like the diagnostic procedures were similar. The, the way people were pursuing it, the, the actual doctors were pursuing it 
was pretty similar. There was not enough progress in that time. And I remember reading in that article that it said, there is no cure for endometriosis. It can only be in remission. And these alarm bells started ringing in my head because I was like, what if, and I'd asked people over the years, could this be endometriosis recurring? And they said, no, 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 that's extremely rare. We looked and he got everything. And I'm like, okay, right. say so. Now you're post-hysterectomy. So yeah. your endometriosis is like off everyone's radar, essentially. Because yep. you don't have a uterus. Right. I don't have a uterus. Right. And I'm taking hormone replacement therapy, but I don't have ovaries anymore. And the other thing that was kind of that I was learning in this time is that my my endometriosis, uh, or sorry, my hysterectomy did not go as planned. He was doing, he did it robotically. The morning that he went in to check the robot, it wasn't working properly. So instead of working in three, and I was under at this point, by the way, I was asleep. Instead of it working in 3D, it was only working in 2D. So they were on the phone with tech support for Da Vinci for like an hour and a half before they decided, okay, we're going to proceed with the, with not being able to see as well. So they, he would like move the, the tool and bump up against the thing he was trying to cut and then remove it. Oh my fucking God. So I was under for five hours. Oh my God. Because essentially they're on tech support. Like, Hey, we got a patient under right now and we're using this robot and it's not working correctly. Could you help us through trouble support this? Exactly. Exactly. And Da Vinci's like, well, you could reboot it. And they're like, yeah, but we, she's under and we don't want to have to wake her up. And the thing is I had signed a consent for them to convert to an open hysterectomy and I would have been fine with that. And I wish that they'd done that. Like that they just converted to open because they weren't able to see as well. And so when I had asked him to remove my appendix and he said, no, I don't think I'm going to do that. It's a higher risk, blah, blah, blah. Cause he couldn't see. He certainly wasn't willing to do it at that point. Right. And he thought that maybe he'd punctured my bladder. And so they did the dye test and everything was fine. Oh but I, I had a, an easy hysterectomy recovery. Like I just started healing and was feeling better. And this is part of what leads me to think maybe I did have adenomyosis and they just didn't know enough about diagnosing it because I felt so markedly better uh-huh. than I had before. But my surgery was for a hysterectomy. It wasn't to remove the endometriosis. And he wasn't an endometriosis excision expert. So he just got rid of the organs and Eight. the adhesions that he could see. So anyway. I'm finding this out and I'm thinking like, well, that's not good. That doesn't sound like things went according to plan in there. I'll bet it is still endometriosis. And so I Googled, I talked to a friend who lived near me who recommended an excision expert and I Googled him and he had good reviews from the past. And so I just called the office and I said, hey, um, I am 11 years post hysterectomy. I believe that I still have endometriosis. No one will believe me. Can I come in and talk to you guys? And they got me in right away. And then I had surgery in August 
And again, before then, right, you're thinking like, oh, God, what if it's nothing? And I'm putting my body through all this trauma. And I, I woke up and he said, yeah, you still have endometriosis. It's in a couple different places. And he told me where. And um, I started crying because I was like, it's this thing again. It's still endometriosis. And that was a door that I had closed and locked and bricked over. So to even open it, a crack was just so overwhelming and frustrating for me because I thought that 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 was totally out of play. Yeah, right, right. It it, it had been, you said, 11 years since your... Yes. Mm Mm-hmm. 11 years. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. So how many surgeries had you had before that excision surgery where you were told post hysterectomy yes you absolutely still have active endometriosis oh geez um well I had a lot of procedures and stuff let me think so I had three four laparoscopies the spinal cord stimulators five and the hysterectomy is six so six and then the excision surgery oh my god wow like i just i can hardly even find the words because the fact of the matter is this is systematic the reason that this is happening is not because of your lack of trying your lack of advocating you not going to the doctor like it is literally because this disease isn't handled correctly and there's so much misinformation in the medical system. Yep. Like I, I feel like there's, I honestly feel like there should be like a class action lawsuit for endometriosis warriors, like of how many times, how much medical debt we're all in because we're going to these doctors telling them there's something wrong and they're telling us, no, (laughs) there's no way. Yeah. Well, and that excision surgery, I think, was botched. Um, I begged him to remove my appendix, which he did. So once they saw my appendix, they were like, yeah, it's scarred from chronic inflammation. It, there's definitely evidence of endometriosis. It's not right. And I'm like, I know. I've known that since 2003. And no one would just take it out. Um, so that- I'm grateful that I got my appendix removed finally, if nothing else. But after my hysterectomy, I've had a lot of bladder issues. And um, he did a bladder sling while he was in there. And he didn't hear me at the pre-op appointments. First of all, I saw his nurse practitioner. I didn't see him until like the day before the surgery. And you're just kind of this particular provider you're just kind of treated like a number and he doesn't really know which patient you are and I told the NP multiple times that I have urge incontinence issues and he did this bladder sling and first of all when I woke up from surgery I was in more pain than I've ever been in my entire life I never call anything a 10 ever and this was a 10 And I was just like groaning and I had to have the nurse help me go to the bathroom. And I was leaning against the bathroom wall, just completely 
out of it and in so much pain. And it took them like four hours to control my pain when I first woke up. I remember them saying like, okay, we're switching you to fentanyl. Okay, we're switching you back to Dilaudid. Like, we're trying to get you under control, sweetie. Like, I was just in so much pain. And typically, he doesn't have patients stay the night. And I told my nurse, I'm like, I think I need to stay here tonight. And I was really glad that I did. Because when I woke up the next morning, I felt so much better. And then it, it's a rough recovery, truly. Like, it's hard. Excision surgery is a different animal than ablation. Way harder than my hysterectomy. And like four days after I started getting really sick again. So I called him and I told him what was going on. And he had me go to the emergency room and they found out that I had like a partial bowel obstruction. So I was in the hospital a few days with that. And then I was able to try to heal normally. But at one of my post-op appointments, the stuff that was in the patient packet that they gave me, what he told me and what was in the op notes when I finally ordered them are, they contradict each other. So I actually have no idea what happened when he was in there. Um, which is horrifying, (laughs) but at my post-op appointment, I said, the bladder thing isn't working. And he said, you have stress incontinence, right? And I said, no, I have urgent continence. And he said, oh, this never would have worked for that. I'm like, then why did you do it? Why Why did you not listen to me enough to not perform this surgery that I didn't need? on top of this other stuff. Right. Oh, that's sickening. So obviously knowing everything you know now, this doctor who was performing excision surgery, would you say was an endo expert? He is an endo expert. Yeah. Oh my gosh. He's Nook certified. Oh my God. No. Oh, that makes me oh my gosh when I see in the forums people asking for an expert and other people recommending him I typically say like you know feel free to dm me and I will talk to you about my experience because I don't want to just say in the forum like stay away from this person right if you're willing to hear the information and not heed the red flags or and heed the red flags because I had seen a little bit of more modern stuff about him but I was like this is the only person that believes me I need to have this surgery I'm gonna do it and you know it turned out that it was like that that stuff is valid and I've seen more people come forward and say like this is not acceptable So ever since that surgery, which was a little over a year ago, I just never healed properly. Like my bowels are really messed up now in a way that they weren't before. They've always been messed up, but they're more messed up. And then he told me that they found endometriosis in a couple of places, but it seemed like cleanup and it wouldn't recur. And then I ordered the op notes because he had mentioned in my my post-op appointment that they found a piece on my rectum, but they left it. 
because it was too, it would have been like too traumatic to remove it. Um, and so they just left it in place. And that wasn't in my little like cleaned up patient packet. And I started thinking, okay, well, what else didn't he tell me? So I got the op notes and I, I looked at them and I was horrified because there was a lot more that happened than what was in my stuff. For example, my bowel was glued to the pelvic sidewall, so they had to cut it loose again. And there was endometriosis in like seven different places. And there was a nodule in my bowel that he didn't tell me about, that he removed. But that's deeply infiltrating endometriosis. Right. And I would have been, I like, I would have liked to know that and also to know that it was bowel endometriosis and perhaps that could have been the reason why my bowels have been angry for so long would have been extremely validating to hear. But instead it was like, yeah, you know, I think there's maybe like a 5% chance that it'll come back. What? So essentially he gaslit you too. Yeah, he absolutely did. 100%. And this is is a Nancy Nooks or like Nancy Nooks did excision surgeon correct oh Uh, oh it just makes me so angry like what I don't know it has to change this cannot continue to go on and when was your this this surgery was recent correct yeah it was a year ago year ago and now I'm consulting with the CEC with Dr. Arrington because I'm like I'm done messing around with local people and, and I sent him all that stuff and I talked to him on the phone and he's like, I'm not actually sure what this guy did because the biopsies don't have that nodule in there. And they're like, the, the stories don't line up really. So he thinks that it's likely that I have, you know, bowel and bladder nerve damage. And I'm working on getting tests for that and hopefully having surgery with Dr. Arrington just to see what's going on in there because I truly feel in my gut and every time that I've felt this way I've been right that there's something deeply wrong and colonoscopies aren't going to fix it because they can't see what's on the outside not that a colonoscopy fixes anything but I've had colonoscopies I've had testing and there's still issues and like in June I was hospitalized for six days with pancolitis so it's just, or with four days, for four, four days, excuse me, it's early. Um, it, it's just like this nightmare that continues. And I feel like people don't take it seriously. And I've talked to my GI team and some of them are like, oh, it's super rare that it's bowel endometriosis. And I'm like, but I have it though. It's actually... it. I certainly had it if I don't currently have it, which I think I do. So. Right. Right. It's not rare. It's, it's not rare, particularly right. with the symptoms that I have. Right. Yeah. Like d- totally screaming bowel endometriosis. And then it's, and it's absolutely wild to me that we, the ones that are fighting these, this disease day in and day out are the ones that are also doing the advocacy work to be like, Hey doctor, you're wrong. Yeah, it's exhausting. 
is. And we, it's got to stop. We can't do it alone. Like we have, that's what my hope is with this series is that people will listen to this and be like devastated that they will be like shook to their core that they're like, like something has to be done with this. Something, some, some big media will pick these stories up. Like something is going to happen where true, true change is going to be made because like you even mentioned it. Um, the researcher, that doctor that was wanted to put her research behind endometriosis because she was diagnosed in the 80s and nothing has really changed since then. Yeah. <laughs> that is absolutely insane. Yeah, it is. There, I don't think there's any other condition that is would be in that kind of um, situation. Like there's research and stuff happening for these other things and I I think that it has to be because it is it's taboo topics and it is traditionally in quotes a women's disease right therefore it's just not prioritized in the same way excuse me so Yeah, it's, it's definitely really frustrating. And I don't know a single endo warrior who doesn't have just like mountains of um, like gaslighting trauma from their past. And often we go to the emergency room and are treated horribly because they think that we're just there seeking pain medicine or whatever. And then you have to deal with that trauma that is constantly coming up in order to go back. And I was talking to my therapist about this. They, they treat us like we're just using the emergency room as like the first stop. That is absolutely not the case. We've been in excruciating pain for days and we know that the only thing that we can do is go to the emergency room because our specialists have told us multiple times well if it gets that bad then go to the emergency room and then we just have to keep overcoming this trauma to do it and we know we're gonna get more trauma while we're there it's just so terrible it is and all the while paying for all of this to happen right yeah it's disgusting it is absolutely disgusting yeah Ugh. um what would you, this is kind of a big question, so feel free to take it in pieces. What would you like to see change in the, in, in the way that society and the medical system deals with endometriosis? Huh. Um, Maybe just like the first step of change like where do you think the biggest impact would be like in diagnostic in just a societal understanding that this disease exists and we need fucking help dealing with it yeah I think education is kind of the first place to start like there have to be so many teenagers that are just confused as hell with what's happening to their body and what they're hearing is, Oh, all women deal with this. It's 
you're you just must have a low pain threshold or there's something going on with you but it's not as bad as these other things i think that people need to be aware that endometriosis is terrible it's awful and it's so like there are people suffering in silence all the time from this disease and it's exhausting to have to advocate for ourselves so if there were more people who were more educated perhaps they would be able to help us with that fight um yeah so i think education is a huge piece i think that doctors need to be educated differently that would probably make the biggest impact on us personally i remember i went to the emergency room with really terrible pain and this the like triage doctor said to me when was your last period and i said i had a hysterectomy this was a male doctor by the way and he said yeah i know but when was your last period and i said february 18th 2010 when i had a hysterectomy and he said, yeah, but you still have periods, right? And I looked at my husband and I said, can you please explain this to him? Because I don't have the bandwidth to deal with this and also my pain and like coping. I just was like, what? You went to med school? Right. Like, I don't mean, to, it's not, it's not funny, but it's like. It is funny. Oh, yes. Like what? What? Yeah. You still have periods, right? Oh my god. Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> I have a question for you. Yes. This um have you ever thought, I'm sure you have, about like contacting these doctors or or trying to like I don't even know if it's possible file some kind of malpractice? Because, I mean, the things that you're saying to me, it's, like, straight up, like, what the hell are these doctors doing? They shouldn't even be practicing medicine. Yeah. Well, the the hysterectomy surgeon, I was grateful that someone did something for me. Um, the most recent person, I just don't want anything to do with him. Like, I don't, I don't want to see him. I don't want him to touch me. Like, I just don't want anything to do with him. And before or like botched excision. Yeah. yeah. And it was only 90 minutes too, which tells me that it was not correct. Yeah. Right. Um, the thing about that doctor is apparently he used to be much better, but then the nook, certification made it so that he just was super like overwhelmed with patients and so he just runs it like a a factory now uh-huh. which is not okay and I've talked to some other several other patients of his that are like way more messed up than I am and that's not right and I think those people should pursue legal charges I one of my neighbors is a tort attorney and he said it is so difficult to have a, a medical malpractice case it's really hard on the patient and the patient's family and yeah. unless you're like 
something extremely severe happened, then it's just, it's not worth it. It's expensive. It's extremely emotionally draining. And, but that sucks too, right? It's like, what is our, our recourse in these kinds of situations? Right. Right. Are we just supposed to take to like forums, like Reddit and social media and but then but then honestly I've seen warriors do that like flat out say this doctor you know is bad and is performing botched procedures and then they get hit with a cease and desist letter huh and like and and it goes back to what you're saying like as an individual as like a warrior you know just as a regular ass person like that's scary as fuck to get hit with something like that you know right. even to be mentioned that that could happen is scary yeah it is the thing that sucks is like even as i'm telling you this part of the story i'm like well what if one of his patients listens to this and i get in trouble it's like this man harmed me right and i'm worried about what's gonna happen to you yes Right, that is not okay. I talk about trauma and gaslighting. Oh my yeah. god, like it's still happening. It's still happening. Like even as I pursue things with the CEC, I'm thinking like, am I am I being crazy? Is this valid? Because I've never been the person to be thinking, okay, I have this issue. I want to see the best person in the country. You know, that's never my thought process. Um, in this case, I think that it, it needs to be, and I've talked to my therapist about this. I've talked to some of my other medical team and they're like, it's time, it's time for you to see someone that can do the surgery that you need to have done and hopefully help. Absolutely. Absolutely. I am so excited for you that you are in contact with the CEC at it's like, I know that there are probably a handful of other excision, true excision surgeons out there, but I literally only talk about the CEC one because that's my personal experience and where I went. Mm-hmm. And I'm afraid to like mention anyone else because I don't honestly know if they're like legit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm really excited for you to do that. Uh, Dr. Sinerva was the one that performed my surgery, but um, Dr. Is it Arlington or Arrington? Arrington. Arrington. Um, he, uh, he was the one that I saw when I went into the office the next day after my surgery and he removed my um, ovarian suspension bridge and mm. he was so kind. And it was like, it was a pretty um, like extreme procedure and he just made it like so non-traumatic. He was so gentle. Like it's just, I just couldn't say enough good things about the CEC. Yeah. I'm excited. Obviously that's a big step going to a state that is not your state to like have surgery and then everything that that entails I'm sure we'll have to find a place to stay and right I stayed in the in an Airbnb yeah I highly recommend that just because it was 
you know, it's quiet. I brought my dog with me because I was mm-hmm. like, do this without him. <laughs> did you drive? I did. I drove. My, uh, my husband and my mom came with me. Yeah. So they drove. I didn't drive. <laughs> right. But yeah, I, yeah, you were going to be in such good hands. They just make such a, you know, scary and difficult thing as not scary and difficult as they could possibly do, you know? Yeah. And they understand too, that it, that you have gone through a significant amount of trauma before ever getting there. It's just like, I don't know. I don't even know how to put it into words. Like I know, obviously they're men. Well, not obviously because men can have endometriosis. Endometriosis is not a disease of the uterus. It's a whole body disease. And yes. in circumstances, men can have endometriosis. Um, Dr. Sinervo doesn't, which is the point I was trying to make that for someone not having lived this experience, it's the most understanding and validating conversation you could have with someone. Right. I'm so excited for you to do that. I mean, excited as I can be, you know, we shouldn't, you shouldn't have had to go through any of this. This should have been the first stop, you know? Yeah. It's just, it's wild to me. Like I almost had to be diagnosed twice. Yeah. Right. Once you got a hysterectomy, it was like you had to fight all over again to prove that it was still endometriosis. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. I'm so thankful that you shared your story because I believe um, that you like your story was unique in a lot of the ways of like, especially already having a hysterectomy and then having to fight again to prove like, hey, this is not a disease of the uterus. Yeah, there is no cure. Right. There is no cure for endometriosis. Um, I'm also thinking about doing a series on Lupron because there's, Mm. yeah, that's a whole beast in itself. Yeah, I was on that three times and every birth control. And they never worked. The hormonal birth control never worked for me. And you, did you have uh, side effects from it? Of course. One time, something I was on, when I would go to, I had like a music history class at eight o'clock in the morning. And I remember I would sit there for as long as I could before I had to leave to go throw up every morning for like an entire semester. And were you ever told that that could possibly happen? Or, you know, like, these are some of the side effects that you could experience. Yeah, they, they knew that I didn't do well with hormones, really. Like my... HRT is hormone replacement therapy that I have now is pretty um it's a patch and it's the same all the time but getting used to it is hard for me like it just I'm nauseated and because of all the inflammation and everything in my colon I'm really nauseated all the time anyway so yeah yeah it's just Zofran around the clock here for years now right right to deal with that My gosh. Oh, well, I'm so appreciative that you came on. I would love to ask you one more question. Yeah. What would you like, like one piece of advice for someone listening to this to take away, like that you would like them to take away from? Um, I remember reading one time that 
cramps are supposed to be no more than kind of annoying. And I think if everyone knew that, people would get the care that they need faster. So I believe you, your pain is valid, and it's not just a bad period. Mm. Yes, 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 yes. That's so important. Well, thank you so much, Jane, for coming on here and using your spoons and setting your own <laughs> alarm and waking up early. Like, I so, so appreciate that. Yeah, of course. W- what you're doing is so important. And I remember when I was getting back into this community, um, that that truly is the silver lining to all of it, is just the community that the warriors have built for themselves is just incredible. Honestly, I've met some of the most amazing people. I couldn't agree more, but yeah, it literally is. It's the best worst club. None of us want to be here, but we are some of the best people. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. And it it speaks so much. I think anyway, it speaks volumes as to what we are capable of to be able to fight this disease and still come together and support each other, like truly unconditionally. Yes. So thank you for being part of the Best Worst Club and for sharing your story. I'm honored to have you on here and I really can't wait to uh, publish this episode and to have people listen to you. Thank you. Yeah, I hope that someone who has been told you had a hysterectomy, it couldn't be endometriosis, is able to get what they need from my story to realize it probably still is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah, that's huge. I'm so thankful that you came on to share that. I think that's going to be very impactful. I hope so. <laughs> Thank you, Jane. I so Thank you. It, and I hope you have a good rest of the day. Thanks you too. Bye. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to the Best Worst Club podcast. If you could do us the biggest favor and help us reach more Indo warriors, please leave us a review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you are listening. And take a selfie of you listening or a screenshot and share it on Instagram. I hope you'll join us next week, Indo Warrior.